For the last number of weeks we've been in this chapter, I keep saying it's a very, um, it's a very practical chapter in the New Testament because Jesus has gathered his closest disciples, the 12, and he is speaking to them about how to follow him on mission, and the instructions that he's giving them are very, very practical. There's a lot of wisdom in these verses, and I think they're as relevant to us today as they ever have been, you know, at the time when Jesus spoke these words, Um, and there's just one verse I want us to focus on today, but I think it's good for us to keep reading all the verses that we have over the last few weeks, just so that these words keep sinking into our hearts and our souls. Um, So I'm going to read the beginning part here, and then I really like it when you read with me, so um, I'll have you join in in just a minute. Jesus called the 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Would you read with me? Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. And today, we're just going to focus on one verse. It's verse 16. We'll put it up on the screen. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Jesus knows what he's doing. He's sending his disciples, vulnerable as they are. He's told them to take nothing, remember. And now he's sending them out into hostile territory as they follow Jesus on mission. He's sending them out into places where dangers are present, where danger is lurking. And this is Jesus' counsel 
for that danger. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Now, I have to be honest with you. I've never preached on this passage, not on a Sunday morning, and it's because generally speaking, at the Gospel tab, um, recognizing the limitations of this you know, kind of gathering, um, you know, we have a limited amount of time, and there's only so much I can say about a passage. We really try to focus on the most foundational things of the passage, recognizing that there's so much more that could be said about any of these passages. Um, and yet, today, I felt drawn to this phrase, therefore be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. So I feel like a lot of these messages over the last few weeks have been like Missions 101. Uh, this might be like being on Mission 201 or something, all right? So it's a little bit deeper. You may need to reflect a little bit more. Uh, you may, may need to leave here asking the Lord a little bit more to reveal what this has to do with you specifically. Maybe some of you will make connections very fast. Maybe for some of you it may take a little bit of time. Um, but I, I really felt drawn to this passage. I felt like it's timely for us, for where we're at. And I feel like at least for some of you, it's going to be really helpful as you follow Jesus on mission. And some of you, it might not be relevant at all. And you can not pay attention then or something. I don't know. <laughs> all right. If I just wanted to focus on this one phrase, therefore be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. This is an interesting word picture that Jesus creates. The original hearers would have understood snakes generally to represent something and doves generally to represent something. Um, the picture of a snake especially is really interesting. In the ancient world, snakes were viewed as prudent or cautious but especially in the biblical narrative, snakes typically do not take on positive imagery, right? Right in the beginning of Genesis, the snake is identified with Satan, right? Especially the snake's cunning or his deceit, right? Um, his ability to deceive. So it's very strange that this is a time when Jesus uses the picture of a snake or he, in a positive light, he wants his disciples to be as shrewd as snakes, as prudent, as cautious, in a way which I'll qualify in a minute as cunning, as snakes. So he wants them to be like this. But then he counteracts it with a paradoxical kind of picture um, to also be as innocent as doves. Now, I just want to say at the beginning of this, some people, when they read this passage, just kind of the, the way they kind of interpret it off the bat is that, you know, we're supposed to be one way in our relationships with people, whatever the snake represents, but also innocent toward God. Um, but I would say that's not what Jesus is saying in this passage. He's saying we're to be as shrewd as snakes on mission in our relationships with people, and we're to be as innocent as doves on mission in our relationships with people. And remember that the context of this passage is mission. Jesus is teaching them about mission, and says that this is useful as they go into dangerous territory, all right? So first of all, let's consider what Jesus means when he says that we should be as shrewd as snakes. Seriously, this is a really uncommon like, bit of imagery for Jesus to use. It doesn't show up much in our prayer meetings, right? Make so-and-so a snake for Jesus, right? It's not, it's not something we pray very often, um, because even for us, we don't associate it with a positive thing. But here, Jesus is telling them to be prudent, cautious, even cunning in a holy way. Um, I think this could mean many things. When Jesus uses phrases like this, and by the way, Jesus loves to teach in, in paradox. Um, he loves to say one thing and then kind of balance it out with another thing. And then you have to spend time thinking about it. It's a very Jewish way of teaching. 
Um, and Jesus loves to keep his audience thinking, you know? And this is definitely that kind of phrase. It invites our reflection. Like, Jesus just throws this out, true to snakes, innocent as doves. It invites our reflection. Like, what does Jesus mean by this? And so I've been reflecting on it, and I just want to mention three things, at least, that the shrewdest snakes part could mean. Um, and I think we see this even in the rest of Matthew chapter 10 in the passage. And first of all, um, if snakes are aware of their surroundings or cautious or prudent, um, then I think Jesus is saying here to be aware of our spiritual enemy, um, to not be naive as we go on to mission about the resistance that exists, to recognize that we have a spiritual enemy, um, that he does resist, that he's not interested in giving up territory in the lives of people or cities or communities. Jesus gives, after all, his disciples authority, among other things, to cast out demons, to confront this spiritual reality. Um, I think especially the Western church formed as we are, knowingly or unknowingly, by scientific kind of rationalism, um, I think sometimes we don't have enough space in our worldview for these kinds of realities. Sometimes I'll hear a Christian say, you know, well, so-and-so sees a demon under every rock. You know, there's not a demon every under rock. I'll just be honest with you. I don't know very many Western Christians, like in the United States of America, who overemphasize spiritual warfare. Um, I think probably a lot of us underestimate it, that we are a bit naive when it comes to these realities. But Jesus is saying, I'm sending you into a situation where these spiritual realities are warring against you. So be shrewd as snakes. Be aware, you know, of what it is that's happening. Um, I'll share with you a story. I don't know that I've ever shared this in a sermon. I'm not sure. Maybe I have. Um, but years ago when I first came to the Gospel Tab, we had a sense that God wanted to birth some kind of renewal here. Um, we could tell that God was moving to do something. Um, in those early years, I was just the youth pastor here. Not just the youth pastor. Um, you know what I mean. Sorry. <laughs> um, um, there's no just. But anyway, I was the youth pastor here. And um, at the time, what that meant was I preached very few sermons. Um, but what I remember was when I did preach, it's often to me, and there were lots of good things about our church in these years, but to me, it often felt like I was preaching into like a heavy curtain. Like a heaviness just felt like rested on us sometimes, and even on Sunday mornings, it felt like it could be really hard to break through that. Well, I remember one of our Alliance missionaries who had ministered in the nation of Burkina Faso in Africa for many years, came and visited us. She was sent out from this church in the 80s, I believe. And she came to visit us, and she preached on a weekend. And um, I remember uh, her taking me and Chelsea out to dinner uh, or lunch. I think we were at Uncommon Grounds Cafe, actually. And I remember her saying to us, um, yeah, I, don't, I think you guys are a bit naive about what you're facing, <laughs> you know, or or the way the enemy has set himself up against the forward movement of this church. Um, she was just in a context where these realities were openly talked about, and she could tell that we weren't in touch with them. Um, well, some odd things happened. I'm not going to tell the whole story, but uh, there was this one weekend where the church was broken into on a Saturday night. And it created all of this chaos, because as we were showing up for service here, and this is over a decade ago now, but as we were showing up for service here, uh, there was the chaos of the break-in, you know, the, 
police are here, they're collecting information, um, and the church safe was stolen and thrown over the hill here, and um, and we even wondered if we knew the person who had done it. You know, we had been around some people with some issues, and so we thought maybe someone you know, was desperate and broke in, whatever things happen, right? Well, then, I believe it was the next Sunday, it happened again. I think so. And so, again, on a Saturday night, a church is broken into. Um, and so we come here on Sunday morning to the same chaos, and this is a defining feature, by the way, of the enemy, the chaos he creates, and so here we are trying to worship, and there's still the chaos of the break-in. This is one of the strangest stories ever in our church's history that I'm telling you, by the way. Um, and, uh, and this time, the, the pastor's offices were broken into, but nothing was taken. As a matter of fact, someone had left money on Elaine's desk. We were holding some event, and they had paid for it. I think it was like $25. And the cash was strewn on the floor in the full amount. So literally not one dollar was taken, but someone had broken in. And at the time, one of our pastors, who has honestly had more experience in this stuff than I did, said, this isn't just physical. This isn't just like, I don't know, like, you know, on a physical level, like there's some kind of spiritual attack, you know, behind this. Well, the third Sunday happened, and uh, again, the church got broken into. And so now we're on our, like, you know, third time. Um, but this time, uh, when we came in, I'm not going to get into all the details, but it was apparent to us that some kind of occultic ritual um, had been done in our church building. Well, that was a wake-up call to our elders. <laughs> That's an understatement of the century. That was a wake-up call, right, to us about what we were facing, you know? Um, and I remember the elders at the time gathered here. We had pews in here at the time. Um, we gathered here in the front pew. I think John came to lead worship. I'm not even sure if John was one of our worship leaders yet or not. I don't remember. But John came to lead worship, and I remember us just crying out to God, recognizing that we were fighting things that we had never had eyes to see before. We are trying to move forward in mission as a church, and we were just so unaware of the great lengths that the enemy will go to to set himself up against movement and mission, you know? Um, I'm going to say more about that in a little bit. I think when Jesus says, be shrewd as snakes, um, he wants us to be aware. He's trying to tell the disciples, you're going into a battle. There's real dangers. The enemy is going to set himself up against you, so be aware. Um, and by the way, the New Testament is filled with admonitions to be sober, to be alert, to be aware of what the enemy is up to, all right? Secondly, to also be aware of the wickedness of people. Jesus doesn't want the disciples to underestimate how what the enemy is doing can interact with the wickedness of people and create really hostile conditions, and so he warns them that they're going to be arrested, flogged, that they're going to face this persecution. Ultimately, it's the enemy animating all of that. That's the teaching of the New Testament. But he uses and exploits the vulnerabilities in people, right, to create chaos, to create opposition, so that forward movement doesn't go, doesn't um, advance in the mission that God has called us to. Now, I really think, friends, and I've had this thought over the last few weeks, guys, outside of these walls, not far from here at all, literally in our backyard today, the enemy of our souls is literally devouring the lives of people. 
The enemy is oppressing, enslaving, lying to people, creating all kinds of conditions that cause death and destruction. And I would venture to say that the vast majority of our churches have no idea that this is happening. They have no idea the kind of destruction that is happening right outside of our walls. They just don't even know. As you step into mission, as you follow Jesus, and listen, to follow Jesus on mission is to follow him into the brokenness of people. It's to follow him into their issues. It's to follow him into every kind of evil that he's engaging in the world, right? Every place where the kingdom of God is advancing. As you start to follow Jesus into those places, you will see some things about the depths of human wickedness and brokenness that maybe you didn't know existed before. Right, Jim? It's very true. You will see things that maybe you didn't know that that existed, you know, or that people could be so broken. Or so. Some of you have stories, and you're pretty aware, you know what I mean, because it was your story. But I think sometimes there's folks in our churches, they're just unaware. They've never seen it. And Jesus wants the disciples to be aware of what can be present in the lives of people. Um, let me give you some examples that I see today on mission. Um, for instance, when it comes to addiction, I see a lot of people sometimes, you know, in, engage that issue or engage that issue in the lives of people, and they're just unaware of how the enemy works in the life of someone, you know, who's struggling with an addiction. Now, there's some of you who have experienced freedom, there's some of you who have experienced recovery, and you are aware, you know, um, because it's part of your story. But even for you, I bet you can think back to people who tried to help, but honestly were just naive, you know? Um, didn't understand how this brokenness was working you know, in the life of a person. Um, I think the same thing is true about patterns of abuse in families. Uh, the same is true about manipulation and the way that people can manipulate other people to oppress them. Um, just in the last few weeks, I've been hanging out with some people that I really believe Jesus is reaching, but they are manipulators in our community. They're manipulating other people, you know, in ways that hurt them. Sometimes we can just be naive to, to these realities. Violence is another. Um, and that's actually some of particularly what Jesus is wanting them to be aware of, is the way that human brokenness can turn into violence. Um, he wants them to be aware of this. Now, here's my advice to you about being shrewd as snakes. Um, you don't have to understand all of these issues to be on mission with Jesus. But it is important that you know what you don't know, you know? <laughs> it is important that you're aware when you're working with someone's issues and you're unaware of how all this is working that you don't pretend to have answers. I think part of being shrewd as snakes is the cautiousness that says, wow, there are depths to this brokenness in the life of this person that I don't fully understand. And when you can admit that you don't fully understand and maybe you aren't the most qualified person to help or maybe you don't have all the answers, I would say it actually makes room for God to do what he wants to do in the life of that person. You don't have to know all the answers. But part of being shrewd as snakes is being aware of what you don't know as you encounter the wickedness and brokenness of other people's lives. And I think in all of this, if we are following Jesus through all of these spiritual attacks, I know this is heavy today what I'm talking about, but if we're following Jesus through all these spiritual attacks, 
and we're following Jesus through all of the wickedness of people that sometimes even wants to lash out against us, I think what God does as he shares his wisdom with us, as he shares his revelation with us, is like a snake that can figure out how to get into places, I think he makes us aware of the path forward on mission. Have you guys ever found like a snake in your house and thought, how did it get in here? You know, one time there was a snake in our basement, our house on Franklin Avenue when we lived down there. It's like, how did it get in here? And then it was terrible trying to catch it. You know what I mean? To get it out. It just always found the path, you know, that it could get into. I think this is what Jesus wants us to be like on mission as we follow him. Even when the enemy throws up obstacles, even when the, you know, the brokenness of people is manifesting, it looks like there's not a way forward to be in this way cunning like a snake and know how to follow Jesus even in these tight places, even in these difficult places. And what ends up happening is we end up then doing ministry in places that we never thought we'd be able to, to do ministry. When I think about being true to snakes, I think about uh, the global church. You know, I've had the privilege of spending some amount of time, a little bit amount of time, with some global church leaders in um, Southeast Asia. Often they're in nations where they're being persecuted. Um, I remember one time I was in a nation where there was this rise of kind of extreme right-wing nationalism that was, um, that was lashing out against the Christian community there and trying to preserve the traditions of that country and didn't want, you know, this new teaching, you know, in the nation. Um, and so these people were really suffering. One pastor uh, shared with me that he had just visited a pastor that he oversaw, and when he visited this pastor, this pastor, um, because he wouldn't deny his faith, because the people in his community dragged him to the local temple to try to make him reconvert to the gods that he left to follow Jesus. And because he refused to do that, um, they didn't kill him, but they crushed his hands. So this pastor that I'm spending time with is, um, is telling me about how he just visited this other pastor whose hands got crushed, right? Um, as he was following Jesus on mission, this is, this is what his community did to him. By the way, <laughs> you know what he said to his persecutors? This is a tangent. But he said to them, before I met Jesus, I killed people. This is what he told him. And he said, that's what I would do to you now. <laughs> he said, except that Jesus changed my life. <laughs> you know? um, and he told them, I'm transformed. You want proof of it. It's that you're crushing my hands and I'm not killing you, Right? Um, the way Jesus transforms someone's life, you know, with love. Well, anyway, under that kind of intense persecution, how do you keep planting churches? This was a movement that was just planting hundreds, thousands of churches in this nation. Well, they discovered that churches were illegal in their nation, but the nation was also really desperate for community centers, for gyms that people could work out in. And so what they ended up doing was opening up all these gyms, you know, across the nation, and these became centers of being able to share the gospel with people. They weren't planning churches, but they were planning gyms. Um, but it ended up being the way that they were reaching their nation. I think that's a good example of what it means to be shrewd as snakes. To listen for the voice of Jesus and to find a way forward, even when the enemy and even when people are throwing up obstacles. So be shrewd as snakes. But that's only half of this equation. Jesus is also throwing out something to kind of balance this out. And that's also to be innocent as doves. Two very different creatures, right? Very different characteristics. Um, I'm going to share with you some thoughts about what I think this could mean. 
Um, I think Jesus is saying, be aware of your spiritual enemy, but also without striving. And here's what I'm going to explain about this. When over, you know, over antiquity, you know, over ancient history, when people wanted to take animals into war, they typically didn't pick a dove, right? Um, you pick something strong and fast, right? Like a horse. Um, this is the animal you want, you know, or that even you want to be like in war. Something strong and powerful, durable, fast, intimidating, right? But Jesus is saying that he wants us to be as innocent as doves. Um, doves are weak. Um, doves are retreating. Doves are easily startled. Um, they're not the animal you would pick to fight a battle, right? Um, you know, I think this is true when we begin to experience demonic opposition on the mission. Um, I think sometimes there's a tendency, as soon as we understand, as soon as the, you know, we, God deals with whatever is naive in us and we see that, okay, you know, this isn't all just physical, this is spiritual, there's something opposing us, you know, in spiritual places. I think even after knowing that, being aware of the spiritual warfare as we follow Jesus on mission, sometimes there's still a tendency um, to reach for our own war horses, right? Um, to reach for what feels strong, to reach for what feels like, okay, this is, this is how God's going to win this, so this is how we're going to win this battle. So this is how I see this. Sometimes we become a spiritual we become aware of spiritual warfare and we feel like we have to have 50 conversations with people like to clear up the situation or, or we feel like we have to run to this situation and this situation or we feel like we have to get relationships you know, in the right place so that these things can be dealt with or we have to say this or do that or send this email. And sometimes this kind of anxiety even manifests in our praying, right? I've been in prayer environments where we're praying against the enemy but you can just feel the anxiety in the room. We're just praying out our anxiety, right? Um, and feeling like we have to strive and fight and try to, you know, I don't know, pray hard enough or thorough enough or whatever. Um, I think part of what Jesus is saying here, be as shrewd as snakes, be aware, but even in the battle, embrace your weakness. Um, be like a dove. Um, and this is really how God wins the victory. The, the more I encounter the enemy on mission, the more I realize that it is not my ability to keep up with the chaos he is creating that wins the victory. It's not my ability to say the right thing or do the right thing in the face of the chaos that he's creating that gets the victory. It's not even how hard I pray. Now listen, prayer is super important. But it's not even how hard I pray that gets the victory. I think this innocent as doves thing is why we are learning here at the Gospel Tab and in our network to worship in the face of spiritual warfare because worship is essentially assuming a posture of weakness. You are God, I am not. You have to win the victory, I can't. You have to be the one to do this. Because think about the ways, even after we become aware that this thing is demonic that we are facing, sometimes we reach for physical ways, you know, natural ways to try to fight this demonic reality. And, and that's like trying to fight the demonic by swinging punches in the air, Right? You can get yourself real tired and you can try real hard, but the demons don't care, right, <laughs> about you punching there. But here's what they can't resist. When we just surrender into his love 
and just say, God, you have to have the victory. We surrender. In our worship, we just create the space for you to have the victory. We're just doves in this battle. We need you to do it. And I find over and over again that that's when God sweeps in. The enemy can't do anything in the face of that because the enemy can't do anything in the face of God, (laughs) right? Um, This is exactly what happened when that occultic ritual, whatever it was, was done in our church building. The elders gathered here to pray. And I remember one of our elders in tears Praying and saying, and he was someone who for years uh, wanted to see good change at our church, wanted to see our church get on mission and follow Jesus on mission. And I remember in tears him saying, Lord, over the years, um, we've tried to get the right people on the board. Um, We've tried to have conversations with people. We've tried to hold meetings. We've We've tried to do all this stuff to create change. And he said, what we never did was just worship and pray. What we never did was recognize what was actually happening, that our enemy was not people in any form, but this spiritual reality that was holding us back. And then just say, God, we need you to do what we can't do. And I'm telling you, I don't want to exaggerate the story, but to me, it felt like whatever that was broke off of our church all those years ago. And almost immediately, you could feel the lightness, the freedom begin to grow in our Sunday morning experience together as we worship together. Almost immediately, you could feel that thing lift off. It just became easier to do ministry because whatever that resistance was had fled just in the face of our worship. And I think that's something that God keeps teaching us. Secondly, we're supposed to be aware of the wickedness of people, shrewd as serpents, but also without picking fights. Um, Innocent as doves. Innocent in our relationships with people. Um, Doves don't pick fights. Um, I was thinking about pigeons, which are kind of like doves, right? Maybe. Um, (laughs) I've been around more pigeons than doves. I don't know. Um, (laughs) But I was thinking about how my kids chase pigeons when they see them. You know what I mean? Because they know these birds are not going to pick a fight. You know what I mean? Um, now, seagulls, like we were up at Lake Erie, they'll pick a fight. <laughs> so don't chase seagulls too much. Uh, they'll come after you, right? Um, but doves, pigeons, they don't pick a fight. They are retreating animals. This is very interesting because I think this is some of what Jesus is saying, that they're not to go out stirring up trouble or picking up a fight. Now, I find this really interesting because I think in this teaching of Jesus, is some definition about what he considers to be boldness or bravery or courage on mission. Um, Sometimes I think we define boldness as brashness or loudness or rudeness. Um, But Jesus is saying, be as bold as a dove, (laughs) you know? As a matter of fact, later on in Matthew chapter 10, he actually says to the disciples that if they get persecuted, they should flee to the next town and minister there as long as they can, and then flee to the town after that. Now, there's other places where clearly in the scriptures, God's people are called to take a stand and to say something. But I think what Jesus is saying is here, that's not the only definition of boldness. There's another kind of boldness, there's another kind of faithfulness and mission that doesn't pick the wrong battle, right? Um, And I think this is super important because in the day in which we live, in election year, all of this, I mean, hear a lot of Christians trying to find how we use our voice, and that's good, on a number of issues. But I think we are uh, missing something about what the boldness of God can look like 
if we think that boldness only looks like being the loudest voice, being the loudest person in the room. God's boldness is so strong that it actually can look like weakness, that it actually can look like gentleness in our lives, right? Um, And so he doesn't want us to be people who pick fights. Um, He's saying, this is his teaching in Matthew 10, if they don't receive you, go to the next place. Let God pick the fights, you know? Let God fight the battles, and you just retreat. You know, it, like I said, sometimes even in, in our nation, um, I hear this desire like we just need to be louder or something like that. And there is a place for that. Um, but I think about the global church again in places where if they were loud at all, it would result in their immediate death, right? And I don't think any of us look at them and say, why don't you go out in the street and just shout it? If that's what the Spirit tells them to do, they should do it. But I think there's a different kind of boldness, a different kind of bravery that's being exposed in starting these gyms all over the country, right? They're still risking their lives to do this, but they're following Jesus in this way that still moves the mission forward. Maybe they're not posting stuff on Facebook, right? But on the ground, they're doing the brave stuff, the courage stuff that's still gentle and under the radar, but God is using it. I think we can learn something from that. And lastly, to be aware of the path forward on mission, but without manipulation, Um, As we become aware of spiritual realities in people's lives, as we become aware of their wickedness, I think it's really important that we not manipulate for our own end. I think this is some of what it means to be innocent to people, um, is that we don't exploit that. Um, Jesus knew the hearts of everyone. Um, Even Judas, who betrayed him, that said in that passage, he knew who Judas was, and yet Jesus related to Judas in love. Um, as God entrusts to us revelation about the way the enemy is working, about the way that people are broken, I think it's important that as he entrusts that to us that's formed in love, that we don't use that in ways to advance our own agenda. And I think this is where you know, the cunning part of the snake is balanced out. There's something in that that we're supposed to be like, but we're never supposed to be dishonest. We're never supposed to be manipulative, right? There's ways to be smart and creative and cunning in that way without also being manipulative of other people and situations. I was thinking of some examples of this um, that I've seen. I think about those YMCAs. I think about believers around the world today um, who, because of the restrictions in their nations, um, have met Jesus. Often, often through dreams they've met Jesus, but they're not allowed to gather and worship in a church. So some of them um, are still gathering in their mosques. Um, and are finding ways to worship Jesus there. That's like being shrewd as a snake, but innocent as a dove, right? Naming the name of Jesus, but finding a way to do that inside of the mosque because of the restrictions, right, that are present. Um, That might seem controversial to those of us who are on the outside, but I see a group of people who are trying to follow what the Holy Spirit is telling them, right, and to do it in a creative way. Um, I think about the time that we held a VBS in Belglade, Florida. I've told this story before, so I'm not going to retell it. But we held a VBS in Belglade, Florida, um, in a community center that was essentially used for Planned Parenthood. There's signs up on the wall, all this, and they invited us in to hold this VBS. Um, that's not something, if you just listen to the news, that you think would be possible, right? But as you follow Jesus, you end up invited into these really interesting spaces, right, to proclaim Jesus there. Or I think about over the years, the way our network in different ministries has related to public schools. Um, Think about this. A lot of public schools, when they see Christians coming, 
um, they're asking, what are we going to protest? Um, and it's because of the way we've defined boldness, sometimes as brashness or loudness or having to have control. Um, but over the years, Aliquip Impact is an example of this. We have found that when we approach the school and say, how can we serve you, that doors open up that we couldn't have imagined. For many years, we had um, a classroom in the elementary school, you know, here in Aliquip. And you know what was interesting about that experience? For all the years we had that classroom, the most frequent question I got from Christians when I went other places to speak, to share these stories, Christians would come to me and say, well, don't you have to compromise something to be in the public school? Like, because you can't, like, I don't know, like, hold a Bible study there or whatever. And for us, it was like, can we think more creatively than just picking fights, right? Um, the truth is, there's rules in the school about what we can say and not say about religion and faith in Jesus. But maybe we can just come to serve. Not to be in charge of anything, but just to serve in that context. Truthfully, we aren't the ones that made the rules. We're being invited into someone else's space. And following the rules in that space is a way of witnessing to the power of Jesus in our lives, right? We're giving up power, being retreating like a dove. And you know what happened? We were able to form all kinds of relationships with youth and children. And because much of our staff lived in the neighborhoods, we had all kinds of opportunity to share Jesus outside of the school context in places where we were allowed to do it. I think when we follow Jesus without manipulation, think about how manipulative it would have been for us to be invited into that context be told the rules, and then to secretly break them behind the administrator's backs. Um, I don't call that boldness. I call that manipulation. It's dishonest. Let's just go through the front door, right, and be honest and trust that God will open up opportunities that we couldn't see, right? That he's going to open up doors of relationship, that we're still going to get to share Jesus in these ways. What all of this makes me think, what it underscores for me, is that this paradox of being shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves is less about following some set of rules that Jesus is laying out about how to be on mission and more about depending on his spirit as we follow him into dangerous and challenging territory. We follow his spirit, and sometimes we're shrewd as a snake. We follow his spirit, and sometimes we're innocent as a dove. We do one thing in one context and another thing in another context. This is the beauty of our network, by the way. We've created different communities of people in our network that can hear what the spirit is saying in their context. And it probably means they're going to make different decisions about how to re reach people, but it's because God is giving wisdom. In all of these places, the enemy is trying to keep his hold on people. In all of these places, the wickedness and brokenness of people is manifesting. But in all of these different contexts... Jesus is speaking, his spirit is leading and giving wisdom to missional leaders on the ground who are able to make decisions about the next step that they should take. This is just how I want to end, John, if you could come play. One thing I love about Jesus is that he always is sharing out you know, these, these commands. It's always out of his love for us. Um, and the mission, like we talk a lot about the mission here at the Gospel Tab, but let's just remind ourselves, this mission is not something we're stirring up or that belongs to us even. Um, we are part of God's mission. God has been on mission since the first humans fell into sin. Um, God has been on mission to redeem and restore. We're on mission because he is. We're missionaries because God is a missionary God, because he is reaching out. Ultimately, he extended himself to the world in Jesus, right? Um, 
in this God-man who came and lived among us, he extended himself to us in this person. It was the culmination of the mission. This was the biggest part of his strategy, right? That he would come and be among us, extend himself to us. That way, tangibly, you could touch him, right? Spend time with him, hear him, right? And ultimately, he died for us. Um, so we're part of the mission because God is on mission. This is his story. And what that means is there isn't one of us on the mission who also didn't receive the mission, right? We're on the mission because God was on mission to us and reached us. And I think God was to us what he's asking us to embody to our community, to our friends, our family, our coworkers, our neighbors um, in this passage. He was this to us first. Here's what I mean. Jesus knows everything about us. He's completely aware. No one is more aware than him. He sees right now on the earth, he sees every demon, every bondage, even whatever's present in this room. He sees it all. Um, he sees it. He sees the depths of our wickedness and our brokenness. He knows who we are more than anybody else. Um, you know, our self-awareness is always limited. You know, to a certain degree, I, I think if we're healthy and maturing and growing, our awareness is growing as well, you know, about who we are, you know, who we are in Christ, also who we are without him, right? Like that awareness grows, right? Um, but Jesus has always known. He's always known the full mess. He's always known the full amount of the brokenness. And this stuff, this is what I love about our God, this stuff, the demonic reality, the ugliness of it, the ugliness of our own wickedness and sin, this did not deter him from reaching out to us. It presented no obstacle to his love. And in creative ways, I bet around this room, if we started to share the stories of how Jesus eventually got our hearts, about how Jesus eventually captured us, what we would hear is all kinds of different stories about how he got our attention, about how he put a distaste in our mouth for sin and the way we were living, about how he rescued us. He did that in unique ways for so many of us because Jesus, through all the obstacles that our sin, all the obstacles that the enemy was throwing up, Jesus knew how to make a path of his love that could connect with our hearts and draw us out of those places to himself. Um, in a sense, and this sounds weird to say, but in a sense, no one was shrewder than him, you know? More wise than him, more creative than him about how to get to the places that Satan and sin were boasting and saying that, that God couldn't get through. He found a way to get through. Um, and no one was more innocent or gentle or full of love or no ulterior motives than him when he reached out to us. He knew the depths of our ugliness, but he reached out to us because he loved us. Um, and this is some of the joy of following Jesus on mission. I find that the more I follow him into the lives of other people, just like we've been talking the last few weeks, just the relationships that are right around us, the more I pay attention to what Jesus is doing and the people around me, and I see him doing for them what he did for me, the more I love my salvation. You know, the more I love what God did, you know, in me, the more I'm grateful, you know, because I get to see this same story of divine love play out over and over again in the lives of the people around me and fills me with worship and thanksgiving.